Happy New Year and thank you for joining us. This is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make up fisheries science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at fisheriespod. If you're the generous sort, you can be like John, Robin, Janet, Ben, Walker, and Garrett, who all support the podcast on Patreon. Through Patreon, you're able to support the show with either a recurring or one-time donation, which helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, stickers, and face masks on our Teespring store if you feel inclined. So check it out. Our guest today is Liam Kehoe. Liam is pursuing a master's in fisheries and aquatic sciences at the University of Florida. He earned his bachelor's degree in marine science from Stockton University in New Jersey, where he found a passion for fishery science and management. His research focuses on bioeconomic and population dynamics modeling of the Florida stone crab fishery. He works collaboratively with university faculty, state officials, and the stone crab community to help improve management. Welcome to the Fisheries Podcast, Leo. Happy to have you on. So first, I was curious how you got your start in marine science and kind of what inspired your interest in fisheries. Yeah. Um, so growing up in South Jersey, about an hour away from the beach, didn't have a whole lot of direct contact um, until uh, I got a little older and went to school at Stockton University, which was near Atlantic City. And that's about 20 minutes away from the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a marine science major there and I kind of went with that because I knew I wanted to do something in natural sciences and that one just kind of seemed the coolest I wasn't yeah. like dead set on it but I wanted to explore it mm-hmm. and then we'd have labs um, and other like field trips where we'd go out on the boats in Great Bay estuary oh, which cool. is the local bay there yeah. um, and definitely just kept on wanting to do that and wanted to do it more and more mm-hmm. um, and then just never really stopped and then kind of just took my interest from there and yeah did internships in it realized it's definitely something I wanted to explore more that's awesome yeah I know definitely in undergrad when I didn't know what I wanted to do and then I got the chance to kind of do some hands-on marine science I was like oh yeah this, this is definitely it so that's really cool and you mentioned doing some internships what kind of things did you do during your undergrad yeah so I, I volunteered and interned at like pretty much every place in New yeah. Jersey that I could um, I started off at the Marine Mammals Training Center. Oh, very um, cool. Is, yeah, I started off as like an education intern and then went to a stranding assistant intern and got to go on like different seal rescues and work on rehabilitating them inside their animal hospital and then some dolphin rescues, which is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Most of, I guess, the interactions I've had with marine mammal research and stuff has been with like necropsies and things. So it'd be nice to see some that are actually alive. <laughs> Yeah, I think I had That's the awesome. most atypical experience with that where I didn't even get to yeah. see it in a cropsy and just got to see live animals for the most part. Cool. That is really cool. What other internships did you get up to? Yeah, so the next place I interned was Jenkinson's Aquarium, um, which is up in Point Present, New Jersey, uh, okay. which is like a decent, uh, it's like an hour away from my school. Yeah. Uh, so I got to intern there and I worked with all the different predominantly sea life they had there from like black tip sharks to wobby gongs to a harbor seal um so I got to feed those and do like the shows where they kind of have like an interactive feeding where you explain people facts and stuff about them 
while you feed them and then yeah, like the harbor so seal neat. you do like enrichment stuff which is pretty cool <laughs> so how do you actually feed a wobegong shark just curious <laughs> um so they kind of just watch it to make sure it is eating they'll throw food inside the tank okay. yeah and make sure it, it gets in. some pieces and if it does that's best case scenario but if it's not <laughs> yeah. um they're uh then thick so they're like they're pretty mm-hmm. much laying on the bottom at all times so they get like a big pvc pole with like these like little spikes on it and they'll stick a yeah. fish on it and pretty much put it right in front of the shark That's um to guarantee like that it gets the fish. <laughs> nice. or if they're giving it like medication they'll put the pills inside that fish and make sure that specific shark gets it mm-hmm. i guess sort of like a dog in that way yeah yeah <laughs> that's awesome they all have names and little yeah quirks. that's so cool great so i guess what was next after that for you um, yeah, so from interning at those two places, I kind of realized that uh, I needed to do more mentally stimulating kind of stuff. <laughs> not that that's not mentally stimulating, but I just needed more of like a puzzle yeah. problem to solve. Uh, so I want to try out more of the research route. So I talked to my professors and advisors at my undergrad, and they encouraged me to apply to an REU internship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I applied to a couple of them my junior year and then or my sophomore year going into junior year then like probably 25 or almost all of them like the next year going into senior year and yep. then I uh got accepted to one at the Gulf of Maine Research Institute it was with Dr. Lisa Kerr mm-hmm. um, and we were looking at um, straight bass movement using uh, machine learning algorithms and otolith chemistry and morphometrics which is really cool sounds like an awesome I guess like early research project to take on <laughs> getting exposed yeah. to different techniques and everything. Yeah, it was a really diverse project and not a lot of similar things have been done before, which is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked a lot with Big Low as well, so I got to interact with those guys. Yeah, good experience with that. Um, yeah, the, the on, it was like my first taste of an online collaboration because we couldn't yeah. necessarily go and meet with them, so that was the first time we used Zoom. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good it's a good thing you to... got introduced to that yeah <laughs> yeah because that was 2019 oh, man. Um, back, <laughs> back in the year. well awesome did you get into anything else during your undergrad or is um now a good time to kind of move on to your current research uh, I was just really active in volunteering whenever my professors like had a hey do you want to go out and sample this day um, yeah, because one of the luxuries of just having a school so close to the beach is that they can just you can have class in the morning and then go out in a boat the afternoon and mm-hmm. do that stuff or vice versa. Which I really liked going to a small school that was generally small school that was close to the beach. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, just kind of you know saying yes to the opportunities that you get is always a good idea. Like I <laughs> agreed to go on some random like electro fishing sampling and things like that during undergrad, and it was like you know, not necessarily super relevant to what I'm doing now, but I think it's just good experience. And it's yeah, I totally always, agree. <laughs> yeah, I think worthwhile. So you don't know cool. what you don't know. Exactly. Awesome. Well, um, I guess if that covers it, we can move on to your master's research um, here at UF. So yeah. I guess um, if you wouldn't mind just going through just the questions that you're addressing with your current research and yeah. we can get into that. Cool. Um, so I'm a master's student working on a like larger sea grant project uh, that is the 
bioeconomic and population dynamic modeling of the Florida stone crab to increase like stakeholder understanding and awareness of the fishery. And then uh, the end result would be to provide like a suite of management uh, recommendations and implications for certain things um, that the fishermen are uh, informed on and yeah. commissioners and uh, other stakeholders can engage and kind of make a, a more cohesive fisheries unit. Mm -hmm. uh, so me specifically, I work on the bioeconomic modeling um, and the population dynamic modeling. Uh, I can kind of go down those. Yeah, that would be perfect. Uh, yeah. So the questions are with the economic stuff is, so you have a stone crab claw, um, which is, or the stone crab industry is claw only fishery, which is mm -hmm. one of the only ones that really exists. There's some smaller ones, but this is like definitely by far the largest claw only fishery. Yeah, and, that and so that works, that, you literally just pop the claw off the crab and then put the crab back, right? Yeah, you just okay. you <laughs> harvest the, the whole organism. You only harvest claws that are of a legal size, like kind of from mm -hmm. the elbow to the fingertips. It needs to be like two, three quarter inches or two and seven eighth inches. Mm -hmm. um, so those claws all have different attributes and value associated with them that you don't necessarily have from having the whole organism. Yeah. Um, so the first like price investigation we have is what are the like attributes that make a stone crab crawl so valuable? Because mm -hmm. um, in certain places, certain times of year, you can get four claws for over a hundred dollars. Like oh, it's wow. like twenty five dollars <laughs> a claw, if not more. Yeah. On, like tourism taxes or mm -hmm. restaurant things, but it's pretty valuable. Money. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, lots of it's a about a thirty million dollar a year industry. Mm -hmm. Um, which is the second most valuable in Florida currently, yeah. just past spiny lobster, mm -hmm. which is pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, the first model um, we're running is called a hedonic model, and that's basically a price, price attribute decomposition model. And it's mm -hmm. like a fancy linear regression that you just kind of run with the price on the Y and then the different things that you think are determining the price on the X. Um, mm -hmm. So we have the time the crab was hard or the, like the season like the fishing year it was harvested the month it was harvested where like inshore offshore the size so like uh the claws are all graded when they're landed from small to colossal and there's about five grades so all those things um can be used to kind of estimate a final price based off like the averages you can get from that um which is pretty cool so if we know that like small claws are worth next to like nothing compared to like colossal claws. We can make mm -hmm. a recommendation that fishermen don't really need to harvest them because if they just left those claws in the water. Yeah. And then the other um, model that we're working on currently is a, a demand analysis um, model and use an inverse and non-inverse almost ideal demand system, which is kind of a fancy term for uh, figuring out how price influences quantity and quantity influences price and how demand overlays into that. Very cool. It's interesting too, to hear all about um, your work with looking at both the population modeling and the economic side mm. of things. Cause I know, um, I guess a lot of people I've spoken to tend to be on sort of the purely ecological side of fishery science, but um, it is about fisheries, not just the fish. So it's cool to hear, you know, yeah. the money considerations that go into this. Yeah, totally. That's what made me really interested in this project because it was looking at the, the more of the human factors, which mm -hmm. are a huge implication for the biological factors. Mm -hmm. You can't just like look at one without the other. They're both 
intertwined and yeah exactly complicated effects mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. awesome uh, yeah so that's about it for economic stuff yeah that we've done so far um we can go on to the population modeling stuff yeah sounds great let's hear it uh so the main question we're answering with that is pretty much how crabs are like how, how many crabs are out there and how do you find that information accurately like predict that based mm-hmm. off a of fishery that's only claw like all the landings we have received um are just claw weights so yeah. like the total weight of claws that are landed so when you have like typical fisheries you have pounds of fish landed and that's like mm-hmm. an assumed 100 percent mortality rate yeah. So when you're only landing the claws, there's different mortality rates associated with the number of claws that are removed from each crab. Yeah, I imagine that gets pretty complex. <laughs> yeah. So there's not like a direct, not, not that stock assessments are, or traditional stock assessments are direct and they're definitely very complicated and difficult. Yeah, it's exactly. just has like an extra <laughs> whole there's that added mortality you section. You don't know what happens to the crab after you throw it back, I suppose. Yeah. And then they're extremely temperature dependent. So that is another oh, huge variable and that Florida's so long and the fishery exists all the way up in like yeah. the panhandle and all the way down to the keys. It's a big range of latitudes. So different. Mm-hmm. So how do you like predict um, potential like landings and implications for management like mm-hmm. through a state that that, that state that, that that is that big yeah. and the species that's that complex and with like a management structure that just for the current management structures, one model for the whole coast, all the same rules for the whole coast, oh, wow. um, which is definitely like, it's very difficult to not have a model like that. And most stock yeah. systems are traditionally like a quote unquote coastwide model. Mm-hmm. Um, but Florida definitely and some other states are making pushes for a more regional approach to management. Yeah. Like with sea trout, you see that here that they have different zones. Um, and scallops are similar there's different zones and they yeah. because they know that those species are very kind of dependent on their regional structure yeah they need so, that sort of management resolution yeah mm-hmm. so the what i'm investigating as a master student is uh breaking down the coastwide model into different regional components and mm-hmm. seeing how how much better that is it understanding the variability and uncertainty in this fishery, including gotcha. different temperature components. And there's a bunch of different fisheries practices that aren't practiced in the key or that are practiced in the keys that are practiced up in Cedar Key by Gainesville oh. area. Um, so we're trying to account for that too, just including mm-hmm. different mortality equations from the traditional stock assessment kind of mortality. Yeah, that's very cool. I'll be interested to see what results you end up finding. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting stuff. Um, and I'm really looking forward to some of the uh, workshops that we have with rec- uh, commercial fishermen. Yeah. Um, we had one back last June where we uh, pretty much asked the commercial fishermen what drives the trends that they're seeing in their catches and what's like a good year and what's a bad year. Mm-hmm. And then we looked at the different effects that like could have possibly that we know that affect um, stock uh, population numbers at that time, like different hurricanes, red tides, yeah. hypoxic events, um, different management changes that happened then, um, and those things. And it was interesting to see. Um, or, okay, so the workshop structure was we had one in the Northeast, Southwest, and the Keys region. So mm-hmm. seeing like what they said in those different regions for good and bad years. Yeah. gave us some really good evidence to 
lean towards that regional model and a lot of different new things to include into it. It's great to be getting, you know, the actual fishery users involved so early um, mm-hmm. to get their input. To, like, yeah, it definitely you know, makes it easier. That's so cool. More valuable. Mm-hmm. I mean, and especially it sort of, you know, backs up anything you model, I guess, that um, what they're seeing out in the water actually matches what you're seeing on yeah. the computer. So that's really yeah. cool. So they'll, yeah, they'll tell us something and then we'll see if that is like apparent in the models and data and stuff. And then mm-hmm. if it's not, we can investigate it more. And if it is, then we can kind of portray that to higher up. Yeah, that's amazing. And I was curious, um, kind of in addition to the modeling components, I know you mentioned that you're running workshops. Is there kind of anything else um, that I guess you do in your day-to-day work on this project? Like, is there field work involved or? Uh... Yeah. Uh, so majority of time I'm found in um, one of the offices on campus or in my yeah. apartment by my desk. A lot of it's just computer modeling stuff, looking up data, emailing people, organizing yeah. things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do get to uh, go out and volunteer or volunteer and help the shellfish unit. Yeah. Uh, for FWC, for Florida Fish and Wildlife, mm-hmm. where they go out bi-weekly and go sample eight different sites they have on the west coast of Florida. Um, they do regular sampling for stone crabs year-round, and they've been doing that for about 15 to 20 years now, which they have a pretty good data set, and that's a really important data flow for the model that we're, we're doing for those indexes of abundances for adults and juveniles. Yeah. So I get to go see how that works and help them collect data very cool and i mean it's it's nice to see i guess (laughs) your study species in the wild and what you're actually working on so yeah i didn't realize how important that was when we were like trying to like fine-tune the model and we needed to know like these like really small kind of details that we wouldn't even think to ask unless you were one of the people that collected the data Mm -hmm. so it's, it's really important to not have a disconnect between quote unquote modelers and field scientists. Yeah, it's like you need to kind of found it in a really good biological understanding of the, you know, fish or crustacean or whatever you're working with. That's really interesting. I know I've kind of run into similar things working on a little bit of modeling with gag um, and, you know, trying to model larval dispersal. It's like you don't realize how many tiny details of like, their biology and environment and behavior that you need to know to make those models mm-hmm. even vaguely <laughs> accurate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it needs to be founded in kind of observation and a good understanding of the species. So mm-hmm. I feel you on that one, but that's good. <laughs> I'm glad you get to get out in the field too. <laughs> it's nice to have a balance, you know? Yeah. Hopefully not super common, but could yeah. <laughs> make it as common as I have time. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Awesome. Um, well, I guess I was also curious, I know you've sort of alluded to this already, um, but just from your perspective, what is the impact that you'd like to have with this master's project? Uh, so the, the project is definitely like that I'm working on is bigger than like me as a master's student. Yeah, um, it's a huge effort. So the results like for that project, I could definitely emphasize where you just want to have a 
more cohesive fishery with managers, scientists, and uh, commercial fishermen and different stakeholders. That's kind of like the major goal. But for my project specifically, it's just to give managers and fishermen like a, a model that that makes sense to them um, mm -hmm. because they both know that or that like the, the model they're using now isn't the best, but yeah, there isn't something better that they can really make um, or like have in existence so to make something mm -hmm. a better model they can use as a tool to test different management recommendations and implications and kind of make the the best choices they can and yeah. give them a good framework to build off of a more regional scale in the future mm -hmm. include those different economic impacts in that as well yeah well that's awesome just give them you know a strong foundation to move forward with yeah just leave a leave a little mark and snow crab yeah, that's awesome. Very excited. I mean, it's a big deal, you know. It's a it's a major fishery, so that's really awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what, where it goes. Well, is there anything else, I guess, that you'd like to add about your current research? Um, don't want to cut us off, um, but if not, then we can move on to, I guess, the easier part of the interview with the same five questions that we ask every guest. We can move on. I think that's generally the gist. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> okay. Um, so to start, we ask everyone, what is your favorite fish? And if we want to expand this to include like crustacea and stuff, we can do what's your favorite fished critter <laughs> as well. <laughs> I'm open to that. <laughs> um, probably bluefin tuna would okay. be my favorite nice. fish. That's awesome. Any particular of, reason or just the fact that they're really cool? Uh, they're, the, they're highly migratory. Yeah. Um, that part where they go across ocean basins, it's just kind of mm -hmm. like amazing to me and how they know yeah. where to go and how they can... Well, they're just really impressive animals. Yeah, exist as a population from the Mediterranean to the Gulf of Mexico. Mm -hmm. Or two populations. Or, I don't know who you yeah, no, exactly. They can just like range so far. But I, yeah. I mean, especially you know as someone who's kind of into spatial ecology just as like a topic of study I think mm -hmm. highly migratory species like that are the coolest yeah definitely awesome. they're really pretty to see yeah that too <laughs> yeah <laughs> just impressive also just how you know like frighteningly strong they are like it's bizarre to see something that large move as fast as they can and it's just yeah Oh yeah, yeah. That's seeing cool. six foot plus fish, that <laughs> yeah, forty miles an hour underwater. Exactly. Yeah, I mean that's a good reasoning. I support that. Thanks. <laughs> nice. um, all right. Well, the next one is, I guess, what is your favorite memory from your career so far? And I know that's kind of a hard question. So if you have multiple, um, that's also fine. Yeah. Um, I think one of my favorite memories. Uh, kind of tied to why bluefin tuna is my favorite animal. Um, when yeah. I was an intern in Maine, we got to go out on one of these uh, retrofitted commercial fishing tuna boats. Mm -hmm. And it was actually a like a tuna harpooner. So it had like a oh, really long sweet. like thing on the front and a tower that went up from like the, uh, the hole, mm -hmm. like straight up, like 20 something feet in the air. Yeah. Um, so yeah. they can see tuna and then throw their harpoons at them and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we got to go out uh, into the Gulf of Maine, um, about 50-ish miles off, 
and we got to see like something straight out of blue planet where there was like these huge like super schools of bluefin tuna feeding on sand lance and different like i think herring um species and watch them like burst out of the water like 10 feet in the air wow have these huge like bait balls just like a diminished to nothing there's just like shiny shells uh scales everywhere floating yeah. in the water oh, that's actually so cool <laughs> it was really cool and to have like one of the tuna researchers that was with us say like i've never seen this before um it was pretty crazy wow. to hear and how like lucky we were to see that and it went on for like hours that sounds like an absolute dream very cool yeah, I think that would be my favorite film memory too. <laughs> uh, so that. cool. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, you never know what you're going to see out there, I guess. It's just. <laughs> yeah, so they went surprised. out again like a week later and just saw blue. Wow. Ocean. Dude, that's so good. I'm glad you lucked out that you were there. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely feel really lucky to have, have that happen. Well, I guess the next question is, what is your dream job and or location? Yeah, um, location, probably Hawaii, because it's Hawaii. Um, That makes sense. (laughs) And there's a lot of those like highly migratory fish there. um, Yeah. You can look at, but I'm not quite sure if that's exactly what I want to go into. Definitely Mm. think like the stock assessment route. um, Yeah. Yeah, if you have this sort of quantitative background, I guess. Yeah, but I'm debating if I want to go like that academic exploration into new stock assessment, population dynamic routes, or if I want to go more of a strict federal or state stock assessment route. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's still kind of up in the air, but definitely someplace like Hawaii, maybe California, or yeah, I don't know, that's probably. Yeah, those are both great places. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. And I mean, yeah, that sounds like a great, a great gig because you have plenty of species to work with and it's also beautiful. So mm-hmm. no downsides. Yeah. Plus fishing in your free time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. The main, the main motivation is to just uh, work with like really unique species. Like stone crab is just super unique because it's mm-hmm. like a claw only fishery. And then like yeah. those highly migratory fish are crazy unique just because they're they move so much and go across mm-hmm. all those different jurisdictions. Next up, this question's kind of similar, um, but it's if money was not an issue and we weren't confined by, you know, normal academia, uh, what's one project that you would like to work on? Um, I think some sort of like tagging, satellite tagging project uh, mm-hmm. on, but like in more of like an ecosystem scale. Uh, like yeah. tag a bunch of animals on like the same general ecosystem and see how they move and interact with each other. Um, I know like satellite oh, tanks don't have the resolution to really work underwater on that scale, but to somehow like find a way to yeah, like, I see, what you see mean. how it all like works together. But I think it'd be really interesting. That would be cool to do some sort of like, yeah, almost like community interaction, but through tagging. Yeah, because it's like almost all tagging studies are all focused on one species yeah just one species like yeah. interaction somehow accounted for which i know is definitely limited with what we understand so far but mm-hmm. pushing towards something like that and yeah, having that, that used in stock assessments and population models would be really cool mm-hmm. 
I mean, yeah, that is a great point, especially if you're thinking about, you know, like, I guess species that do have complex space use and like their interactions need to be spatially explicit for us to actually quantify them properly or something. That would be really cool. Hearing like some of the stuff from stone crab fishermen, even if you put like a tag on a stone crab, uh, mortality isn't like the biggest motivator. Sometimes it's sometimes the crabs just moving to avoid like lobster because or uh, not moving to avoid octopus like the octopus are pushing oh. crabs to increase their catchability but they aren't like having mortality on them so how can you know that it's the yeah exactly you wouldn't understand what was driving that unless you had that yeah nice um and i guess that brings us to our last question it's if you could have one point or principle programmed into everyone's head just automatically what would it be I think it would be just come at things with an open mind and having any type of like bias or assumed answer before you go into a question is, is not really that conducive with quote unquote science in my opinion. Yeah. You have to just be super open to getting the answers that are presented to you and really listening to what the data has to say. <laughs> Gotta get the dogs in there, but no, that's perfect. Approaching stuff with an open mind. Yeah. And I guess that works, you know, even outside of science. <laughs> so it's yeah, definitely. I think that's all I have prepared for you. Cool. But, you know, it was so great to hear more just about what you're doing. And I'm really excited to see how all of that sort of shakes out. It seems like you're going to have a huge impact on that fishery and on a lot of people <laughs> who use that fishery. So that's the goal. That's awesome. Thank you so much for, you know, agreeing to talk to me this friday <laughs> new year's yeah appreciate it it's yeah. fun if you want to find out more information or get a hold of liam you can reach him by email at lkeho at ufl.edu that's l-k-e-h-o-e at ufl.edu or on twitter at lm underscore keho if you would like to get a hold of me or the other hosts, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at fisheriespod or old-fashioned email feedback at thefisheriespodcast.com. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can download past, present, and future episodes on your favorite listening app or stream the podcast from Spotify or thefisheriespodcast.com. And don't forget, you can help support the show with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some awesome Fisheries Podcast logo shirts, hoodies, and stickers available on Teespring. I'm Hannah. Thank you for listening to the 158th episode of the Fisheries Podcast. And remember, as we start 2022, keep an open mind and avoid bias in science and in life.